0: Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s.
1: I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Pictures, and we have not stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them.
0: We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film and in an attempt to answer the question movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are?
1: Today, we are talking about 2004's Ella Enchanted. Woo!
2: <laughs> Meet Ella. Thanks to a magical gift gone wrong, She's forced to be the most obedient girl in the kingdom. Just admit you're stupid and don't know what you're talking about. I'm stupid and I don't know what I'm talking about. I really need to find my godmother and get her to take back the curse. Now, on the road to finding her freedom, Ella's discovering...
0: I gotta say... This today, when we were planning what episode we were going to record, we established with each other, let's do a good one. Let's do one that will have a lot to say about with minimal strain. And Ella Enchanted really emerged as the top contender for that role.
1: Yeah, I was looking at the list, our running list, and I was just like, it just feels right. It, it really just... It feels like the right choice for today. Yes. Yeah,
0: I'm wearing my um, v- my blue velvet shirt that I've not yet worn for anything um, in honor of Ella Enchanted because I, for some reason, blue velvet is synonymous with this for me. I think it's because on yeah. the cover of the novel, she's wearing a blue velvet shirt and I read the book also.
1: Um, yeah, there's a lot of blue incorporated in her costumes. yes. And I just I don't really know how my outfit relates, but I just (laughs) felt like I felt like the the uh, neckline is somewhat it's a square uh, fairy tale, right? Yeah, it's
0: somewhat yes, I somewhat fairy tale. I too have the square neckline, but you the camera angle is uh, interesting. Anyway, so I I tried to I haven't seen this movie in a really long time, as I will say again later, but I tried to expose myself to as little of the actual movie's content as possible leading up to this because I think this movie's really good. Like, my yeah, my gut is it, telling me I, that it's really good.
1: Yep, me too. Um, I haven't watched it in a while, but I know that I loved it. Yeah. And we probably, like, Probably like when we got it from the library when we were younger, we were like very excited about it. <laughs>
0: yes, definitely. I uh, I think there's a lot about the culture of 2004 also infused into this movie. So I'm excited to talk about that. So let's just get into the facts of Ella Enchanted. So Ella Enchanted premiered on April 9th, 2004 in theaters. This movie, everything that I've gotten from it is that, like, the production of it was very English. Like, there's a lot of English uh, actors that are famous in it, but then a lot of American actors, too, so very crossover-y. This movie was directed by Tommy O'Haver, and I looked up his uh, body of work, and there really wasn't anything that... Noteworthy to me, I'm sorry to Mr. Ohaver, except for this movie <laughs> called Get Over It, which had Kirsten Dunst in it and like Mila Kunis in the trailers from 2001, and it's this really weird teen rom-com where there are, in fact, random heavy-handed musical numbers in an in-world play. So that's some foreshadowing. Oh, that fun. Yeah, it was a little confessions when I when I uh, was watching it. But anyway, I watched the trailer and I could not understand what the movie was about, even with that. So just keep that in mind. <laughs> uh, the screenplay for Ella Enchanted was written by Lori Craig. Well, there's a, there's five writers attached to the, the project. The first one is Lori Craig. She doesn't have a lot of credits either, except she did get a screenwriting credit for Ramona and Beezus, the one with Selena Gomez. <laughs> So next on the list of people with screenwriting credits for Ella Enchanted, we have Karen McCullough and Kristen Smith. I think it's Kristen Smith and I wrote it wrong. But anyway, they are the screenwriting duo behind Legally Blonde, The House Bunny, She's the Man. We just talked about them in our last episode covering She's the Man. So if you want to know more about them, you could Google it like a reasonable person or you could listen to the entire She's the Man episode. The next person we have. Which you should. You should. You should do that. (laughs) You can still be reasonable <laughs> and listen to the "She's the Man" episode. They're not mutually exclusive. <laughs> the next writer we have is Michelle J. Wolf, who uh, is a TV writer. She's written a lot of TV, but not a lot of other movies, and nothing she had written uh, was familiar to me. So again, sorry to miss Wolf. I just apologize now instead of shitting on people.
1: Yeah, we've really gotten to the the <laughs> apology stage of this. <laughs> Sometimes I'm just too dismissive, but there's so
0: many people to talk about that I just want to keep it moving, you know? Yeah. And last but not least, uh, the novel upon which Ella Enchanted is based is Ella Enchanted by Gail Carson Levine, which I know I read back in the day. I don't remember how good it was, but I'm thinking it was pretty good, but that I had seen the movie first. So that kind of like tainted my experience of the book a little bit. As it happens to work out a lot of the time. Yeah. But yeah, so those are the writers of the movie.
1: Yeah, I think I read the novel as well. I think I probably just read it after you, but I remember liking it, but liking the movie more. Yeah, same. Um, which is kind of rare. So I don't know. I guess it's usually what you know first. Mm-hmm. But anyway, moving on to the plot synopsis. Here we go. Here it is. Ella is under a spell to be constantly obedient, a fact that she must hide from her new stepfamily in order to protect the prince of the land, her friend for whom she's falling. (laughs) Now, I just would like to say, this was the most simple plot synopsis I could find. I didn't want to
0: give too much away. Uh, There's a lot in the movie, and a lot of the synopses were really long. So I was like, let's just keep it simple. Yeah. Um, And that is essentially (laughs) what it is. Her friend for whom she's falling. (laughs) I know. It's like, why do they have to put it that way? But that's that's how they did it. Would
1: you like to read the tagline? Yeah. So (laughs) real simple, one and done, get enchanted. (laughs) I was Um, like,
0: is that really it? I was like clicking on taglines and that's it.
1: Yeah, and there's, wait, isn't the Amy Adams movie called Enchanted? Wait, what is that movie called? Yes,
0: Enchanted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I wonder when that came out. When did, probably at the same time.
1: Yeah, ish, around the same time. Put them in a
0: DVD two pack and call it a
1: day. Yeah, that would be very powerful. But then they have like the same name kind of, but it works. I agree. And I, I vividly remember seeing Enchanted in theaters together with mom and dad.
0: Yeah, it was like a family movie-going experience. I remember that too. Yeah. Maybe maybe when we get into the deep, deep cuts of Sleepover, we'll do an Enchanted uh, episode. Yeah. That will be fun. Okay, so our simple tagline out of the way, here comes the cast of this movie and... I would just like to preface all of this with saying that there were a lot of recognizable people in this movie and I wanted to include as many of them as possible but I didn't want to spend a million years on each person so I've done the Sleepover Cinema Classic which is cherry picking everyone's credits for things that we recognized for the most part. First and foremost in the title role, obviously we have the star of the movie, Anne Hathaway. Three years after... The Princess Diaries. So she is very much in her, like, uh, not her prime, because she's, like, still in her prime, but it was, like, early Anne Hathaway, which leads me to say she was just on Drag Race the other week, and she looks exactly the same as she did 20 years ago.
1: Yeah, she's definitely got, like, a killer skincare routine. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, like, she looks exactly the same, and that's just... um. It makes me, makes me feel like time isn't moving forward, which is nice sometimes. Not in, like, the COVID context, but yeah. you know what I'm saying. Anyway, so the movies that she's best known for, we already know. Princess Diaries, Devil Wears Prada, Les Is, Brokeback Mountain, and the like. Moving on, we have Hugh Dancy as Prince Charmant, who is a hottie. He's English AF and a hottie. Uh, he, I didn't know this because I think I always just think of him as like the prince from Ella Enchanted. but he has been very, very booked on TV, like network TV shows. So he has been on Hannibal, The Path, Homeland, and The Good Fight as like a recurring character on all of them. So he's getting that money and those gigs, which is amazing. Then we have Carrie Elwes as Edgar. Primarily he is... Wesley from The Princess Bride. <laughs> that is really who he is. But he's been in like a million movies. And I also think it's interesting and kind of tasty that he uh, was Wesley in The Princess Bride and now is the bad guy in Ella Enchanted. Because they kind of feel like they're in conversation with mm-hmm. each other.
1: Yeah. It's like a genius casting choice.
0: Yes. Definitely agreed. I'm, I'm really excited to like see him in that role. Then up next, we have Aiden McArdle as Slannon And the name Slannon really rang a bell to me. So I wanted to include it because I know it's a big character. But uh, he has been in a lot of TV and I recognize none of it. So sorry to Mr. McArdle. <laughs> Next we have Joanna Lumley as Dame Olga. And I saw her, she's like an elderly English lady. And I, not elderly, but older English lady. And I was like, she looks so familiar. Why do I know who she is? She was in The Wolf of Wall Street and Corpse Bride, but neither of those things were really connecting it for me. And then I realized that she is one of the mean aunts in James and the Giant Peach, the Tim Burton live action one. She's Aunt Spiker, if that means anything to you. Audrey has a face like, does that movie exist? It's not live action. (laughs) The first, the first like 20 minutes are live action and then it's animated. Oh. (laughs) You should, you should rewatch that because I watched it a few months ago and like it unlocked, you know, those TikToks that are like, I'm about to unlock a memory you didn't even know you had. Like that is what it felt like to watch it.
1: Yeah, I was like, wait, did I just, like, black out for an entire live-action <laughs> version of James and the Giant Peach?" No, do you remember that thing where it's like, the rhino's coming, and then
0: it's like, the rhino is in the clouds? No, I, I don't remember that movie, like, at all. It's a creepy movie, but it's good. I rewatched it, like, in December. Okay, we still have four more actresses here that are all very important, so... I will press forth. I think the next one is the person I am the most excited about. We have Lucy Punch as Hattie. And you hear the name Lucy Punch and you're probably thinking, who is that? I don't recognize that person. But you definitely do do recognize her. Um, She, some things you may have seen her in. She was in this show called Motherland, which I'm guessing is English. She was, um... Esme in the series of Unfortunate Events reboot, the Neil Patrick Harris one. She was also Lucinda in Into the Woods, which is one of the step or one of the daughters of the wicked Stepmother. And she also is in the Tenth Kingdom, which <laughs> I hope and pray that a Sleepover Cinema listener out there has seen the Tenth Kingdom. Audrey, how do we even explain <laughs> what the Tenth Kingdom is? <laughs>
1: Like, I'm literally at a loss for words just <laughs> thinking about it. The, the Tenth, Tenth Kingdom is a made-for-TV, uh, like, movie event, sort of. So it was, like, split up into sections, and it would air, um, like, periodically. But it is, like, seven hours in total. It's like so a mini series kind of, before it was a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a limited series, the way that they are now. And...
2: I, I just, I don't even
0: know how to go into it. The way that I would explain it is like, okay, you know how on this show we're always referencing that we had this set of DVDs in our minivan and that we would watch the same movies over and over again. We had this miniseries in our car for like 10 years. Um, and our mom had originally gotten it for us as like a long, a long viewing for a drive to North Carolina. And she like, Kind of watched it, but kind of didn't watch it. So I don't think she realized that it was like really more like PG thirteen, and we were we were kind of young. Like so, over yeah. the summer we rewatched it when Audrey was still home. And uh, first of all, Scott Cohen <laughs> is in it, and he's like the first love interest of Lorelai Gilmore on Gilmore Girls, for the reference. And he's so hot,
1: Max anyway, Medina. Yeah. The point of
0: all of this is, it's a fantasy mini series where, like, the hero encounters. It's it really what it is is it's once upon a time before once upon a time.
1: It's yeah the same
0: thing. Um, mm-hmm. But the point is that. Lucy Punch plays Little Bo Peep in this thing. And the whole Little Bo Peep section is like really sexually charged (laughs) because there's a werewolf and it's all like horny and uncomfortable. But it definitely really (laughs) just like made a big impact (laughs) on us. And the the part that, <laughs> that Lucy plays in uh, Ella Enchanted is, like, very similar to the part that she plays in The Tenth Kingdom. In The Tenth Kingdom. Kingdom. It's very similar. So we're just excited to relive that. But I just love Lucy Punch because her typecast somehow is, like, medieval bratty bitch. Like, that's yeah. her typecast?
1: How do you even that have that? That is the best typecast that anybody could ever ask for. Like, in, <laughs> yeah. She just brings me, like, so much joy,
0: and I'm just really excited to see her do her thing in this movie. Okay, next person we have is Minnie Driver as Mandy. I mean, Audrey, when you think Minnie Driver, what's the first thing you think?
1: Phantom of the Opera. (laughs) Joel Schumacher's Phantom (laughs) of the Opera. In which she uh, lip-syncs to opera
0: singing the whole time. It's not even her voice that does the singing, because she plays Carlotta, who's, like, the diva extraordinaire. So obviously we think of Phantom of the Opera just because of who we are, but um, she's also, she was on Will and Grace. She was the voice of Jane in Tarzan, which I never knew until today. She's in this show, Speechless. She's a very famous actress. She's also English, and I don't really know that much other than that. Next We have Vivica A. Fox as Lucinda, who is, uh, the name Lucinda has now come up twice, but there's two different Lucindas. This is the Lucinda in Ella Enchanted. She's the fairy godmother. She's famous for being in Kill Bill, Independence Day, Set It Off. She's, like, an obviously famous person. She's also done a lot of random shit in recent years, like TV movies and stuff like that. She was also on Curb Your Enthusiasm. And last but not least, thank you for getting through this with me, but I really think it's worth it for this cast because it's, like, pretty amazing.
1: Me too. We have
0: Parminder Nagra as Arita. She is <laughs> uh, the lead in Bend It Like Beckham, the main girl from yeah. Bend It Like Beckham, which I didn't know, which totally makes sense now that I think about it, but... um yeah, so she was Jess and Bennett like Beckham. She's still unbelievably booked to this day. She is on Blackish. She was on 13 Reasons Why. God friended me, LOL, Agents of Shield, The Blacklist, Psych ER. All signs point to her being an absolute queen based off her body of work. And like I watched a few interviews with her too, and she just seems to be incredibly charming and compelling. So I'm excited to see her in this movie. Okay, that's the cast highlights.
1: Audrey, what about these critics? What do they have to say? So, here is the critic consensus. Hathaway is a charming heroine, but the simple storyline gets overwhelmed by silly gimmickry. Gimmickry. (laughs) The gimmickry. The The shenanigans and the gimmickry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we've got... Two more critic opinions. This this critic um, opinion is
0: really egregious. So you might want to put on your your man voice for this one.
1: Okay. All right. Let <laughs> me see if I can summon him. Yeah, and this is uh <laughs> Audrey will be
0: playing the role of Stephen D. Grey Danis of Decent Films Guide, and he's labeled as a top critic.
1: Great. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Avoids a misstep common among girl empowerment flicks, which often emasculate the male lead to make the heroine truly heroic. Manages to make both leads appealing. What? (laughs)
0: Basically, he was like, the man still gets to be a man in this movie for chicks. So. And for children, nonetheless.
1: Oh, I see what he's saying. Stupid take. There's a lot of, of other things you could talk about. Yeah, <laughs> and then the third is from Ty Burr of the Boston Globe, and he says an overcalculated fusion of Shrek and The Princess Bride with all the smarts replaced by smartass. I don't know what smarts being replaced by smartass means, first of all, but
0: I uh, I put this review in here mm-hmm. because. When I even looked at like a little bit of stuff for the movie, I remembered that this that Ella Enchanted does have like the extreme um, like cultural reference thing in it that like Shrek had where it was like trying to make a commentary on like 2001 culture in like a medieval framework, if yeah. you will. So yeah. that's something to keep in mind. But the audience score was 57 percent. Which is kind of low.
1: Well, yeah, I was going to say there's only a 7% difference between the critic score and the audience score. So that's a lower, it's like a higher score than we usually see for critics and a lower, uh, a lower difference between the two than we usually see between the critics and the audience. Yes. So that's interesting.
0: So we got the reviews, we got the cast, we got the information, but do we have the gossip yet? We don't. Audrey... What was the gossip?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I found some really, like, niche points here. (laughs) I feel like um, the first piece of gossip from... April, 2004, is that Canadian singer Alanis Morissette stripped down to a nude suit when she was hosting an award ceremony in Edmonton, Canada. She was protesting at the increase in censorship in the U.S. in the wake of Janet Jackson's earlier wardrobe malfunction.
0: You know, relevant, though, because the Janet Jackson quote-unquote wardrobe malfunction is really reemerging into the discourse because of the Justin yeah. Timberlake stuff, so you go, Alanis. We need it. <laughs> the next she one changed we have the world. <laughs> she did in her own way. That's all we can ask for, isn't it ironic? Don't you think?
1: Isn't it? So our third piece of gossip is that actress Kate Blanchett gave birth to her son Roman. <laughs> Roman. So, Roman. <laughs> So good for her. (laughs) Great for her. And the last piece, which is very, 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 very crucial, is that both Mm -hmm. Mean Girls and 13 Going on 30 came out in the same month. You know, we're just not doing it like that anymore. No. No one's
0: doing it like that. That is unbelievable. That is crazy. It's true. You know, Audrey, I feel like, We're always talking about how we're the sister filmmaking duo. Where are the films? We could. (laughs) We could do it.
1: Where are the films? Well, you know, we are in a pandemic.
0: (laughs) We are in a pandemic. But what I'm saying is I feel like the space is there for a good renaissance of this sort of movie. I feel like there's nothing like it.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that they are trying. I feel like there are a lot of indie. They're they're not really indie because they're pretty well-funded, but like they're not, you know, at this point in the film industry, you're either indie or you're Marvel. And almost all of the movies, well, some of them really were blockbusters at the time because rom-com, the rom-com genre was still very alive and well in the early 2000s. But now we've seen like kind of in a similar way to like how the middle class no longer really exists, neither does the like neither does the midsize movie because there's just no balance. Like, yeah. Um. And so that this type of movie, um, that used to thrive and they used to be able to make a lot of them, it doesn't. It doesn't exist.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. And the ones that do that are indie are like, like I think of like Booksmart or mm-hmm. um. There's a bunch of, like, girl best friend adventure movies right now that, like, are very, like, neon A24-ish. And it, it does kind of feel like an evolution of these movies, mm-hmm. but it is lacking in, like, pure fun. And I think... Yeah. I think that's where, yeah, that's that's the assignment. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. I love how you just, like, brought in economics there for a second.
1: <laughs> well, that was a- it... This whole this whole thing is economics. Film is economics. That's true. I mean, as much as we want to talk about art at the end of the day, it really is business. So you've actually been listening to a business podcast this whole time. (laughs) (laughs) It's just marketing
0: and business. Wow. Yeah. You know, what are some things we remember about this movie from childhood? And both of us, I mean, it's been years and years for both of us since we've seen this, right?
1: All I wrote for what I remember is that um, I know that the scene where Anne Hathaway's character is forced to be mean to her best friend, um, Anita, it... Arita. ...made me cry. Arita, not Anita. Sorry. I'll say <laughs> it again. Okay. Should I say it again? Or No, it's,
0: it's fine. Who cares?
1: Okay. It made me cry and just, like, knowing that she had to do it. Like, she had no choice. It's so... Yeah sad and then secondly the somebody's love scene made me feel weird <laughs>
0: <laughs> i'm looking forward to uh discovering why it made you feel weird yeah um most of the things that i remember about the movie i've already kind of sprinkled into what i've said so far um like her wearing blue the shrek likeness Um, I wrote that somebody loves a banger and I also didn't know that um, it was a Queen song until like several years (laughs) after I had seen the movie. But, you know, that that tracks based off of our childhood and our our culture as kids. It makes sense that we wouldn't know. Yeah. And then also, I guess this isn't really something that I remember, but just some things that occurred to me as I was getting ready is like there's gonna be a lot in this movie to talk about like boundaries like discussing boundaries and like like advocating for yourself and also like racism I think a lot so there will be much to talk about and I am eager to see how this one is anyway Amazon Prime free with ads you can watch it there or you can dust off your DVD or whatever (laughs) you want However, we're going to go watch it, and we will be back to discuss and unpack the classic of 2004, Ella Enchanted.
2: You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily...
0: We are back. We have watched Ella Enchanted and the notes are aplenty. For those watching at home, you can see my clipboard here and Audrey's notebook and we are ready to go. Um, so much to say, so much to talk about, uh, but let's start with the good stuff. So, the things we appreciated. <sighs> <Ooh.
1: laughs> I mean, there's a lot to appreciate here. Just to run through a few, some of the more simple things for me would be um, um, the concept of a medieval escalator, um, (laughs) a thriving cottagecore aesthetic, um, Anne Hathaway's hair, uh, Mm -hmm. and also drunk fairies. (laughs) Yes. Those are just some simple
0: things. Similarly, and related to Anne Hathaway's hair, just Anne Hathaway is just just such a star in this movie in every single way. Like, great performance, great commitment, uh, lots of willingness to be silly. It's like, you know, the RuPaul quote that's like, not to be quoting RuPaul <laughs> on the pod, but you know the RuPaul quote that's like, your fear of looking stupid is making yeah, you look stupid? Yeah, that's so
1: true. This movie is mm-hmm. like the
0: opposite. It's, like, the opposite of this, because she's, like, not afraid to just, like, go there.
1: She's really giving me the energy of, like, the, the drama club kid who, like, actually is doing what they're supposed to be doing. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah,
0: yeah. Like, is actually good. Just the costumes in general are really, really great in this movie. They're really inventive. They're really colorful. They are um, simple, but lots of good fabric. Also, there's some unconventional fabrics that are you don't normally see in like yeah. a fantasy movie that I thought were very enjoyable. Also, I just really enjoyed the chemistry between Prince Char and uh, and Ella. The scene where they're like sitting in front of the fire in like the giant bar like is burnt into my brain as just like wholesome. Even though there were some elements to it that were not so wholesome, that we'll get to later. But I, let me
1: just but. add something positive about about Anne Hathaway and her dynamic with her male leads. It's literally her; she is the reason why it's good. The dynamic between mm-hmm. her and Prince Char is the same dynamic as between her and Nicholas in Princess Diaries two, and I had that um, down. it's all about this enemies sexual tension thing. Enemies yeah. to lovers vibe. <laughs> and uh, it's yes. like the the yes. boys always do a great job, too. But like it's her that like she's bringing it. Yeah, I totally agree. And like that's what you look for in your leading lady
0: in in like a title star, you know, mm-hmm. like that that sort of control over the dynamic, I think, is cool to see when it's established by a young woman yeah. star.
1: Ultra side note. Let's just give Chris Pine credit where credit is due for taking roles in movies throughout his entire career where he is in that role. He's in the the backseat role to the female lead to this day. Like he just was in the new um, Olivia Wilde movie that just wrapped Um, like Olivia Wilde is directing it. And she like wrote this Instagram post Mm -hmm. about literally that exact thing and Chris Pine. And I was like. I love him. (laughs) Okay, anyway. Um, Okay, so now
0: on the side, it's still good things, things I appreciated, but um, a little bit deeper. I uh, really enjoyed that this movie passed the Bechdel test within the first five minutes. Literally, like, the women are the reason why the story Mm -hmm. works. So, and also just like, you know, at the beginning, it's her mom and it's the... (laughs) <laughs> house fairy and speaking of the mom another thing I had written down is um that her mom dies super early but her mom still has a personality in the three minutes yeah. that she's alive like you actually kind of get a sense yeah. of what she's like even when she dies yeah that and
1: day. I was saying to Hannah I was like look at this little like co-parenting situation they got going on up in here It's <laughs> like I love this yeah I thought the dad was going to be dead,
0: and then the dad showed up, and I was like... He's not dead, he's just, like, away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That was notable to me. And also, there were a lot of moments in this movie that were genuinely really, really funny. Like, uh, I don't know why, when you first meet the stepsisters, and they're, like, introducing the fact that they love Char, and they, like, do their weird handshake. I was like, that's really funny. I thought when the evil king or, like, the evil uncle said, image is everything, before they get off the carriage, like, I thought that was really funny. There was a bunch of moments like that where I was like, oh, this is actually really amusing yeah. in its yeah. own right. And
1: there were, like, moments like that where it didn't play as well, I think. But, yeah, there it definitely yeah. had good moments, too. yeah. Do you have any other things you appreciated that you want to uh, My on? last thing is um, the way that they were dancing at that party with the, <laughs> um, you know, the Giants party, basically. I, yes. It was just the weirdest combination of choreography and music that I had ever seen. But I was really vibing. So I appreciated that. <laughs>
0: It it was weird. It was a very strong choice. And I was like, okay. I did like um, what they did with scale in that scene. Like, it wasn't really that dated looking. That was one other thing is like, I thought the CGI held up pretty well. Especially the guy in the book. I was like, how does that look so good? That looks great. And, oh, one more positive thing. I mean, there's, there's more positive things, but like one more just thing to tack on is like, okay, we are inevitably going to spend some time here talking about the impact (laughs) of Shrek on this movie because it's extremely present. But that being said, in all of the reviews of people being like, this movie wants to be Shrek or like this movie is making too many references or like doing too much, like did it feel like it was in the universe of Shrek? Yes. But did
1: I really have a problem with it? No, not really. Just the fact that it's not animated is
0: yeah, And like... I guess just reading all those critic reviews of people being like, this movie is a joke because of all of its cultural references. I actually thought the references were like a lot less heavy handed mm-hmm. than they are in Shrek. I thought it was fine. Like the medieval escalator.
1: Yeah, I was like, it's, this it's just is like of- a like a t- early 2000s mall reference. Like, I kind of liked that. I yeah. did like that. <laughs> I
0: thought it was fine. Yeah. I was like, whatever, bring it on. One other thing. That I wished I had more of was, like, with Carrie Elwes as the king, he's in the very beginning, and then he doesn't show up again until an hour in. And I was like, I kind of wish he was in yeah. it more, because whenever he's on screen, he's so good.
1: That's exactly what I wrote. I said, I wish that they had just had the uncle snooping around instead of the snake. Why? Like, maybe he yeah. had a busy schedule, and they had to write in the snake, or maybe it was always the snake. But, like... I and I get why he he as a king could not get away with, like snooping around. Well, he wasn't the he's king. Though, the like he uncle was or whatever. The he's yeah like he, yeah yeah. I get that he's, he's like not king yet, but like I'm just saying, like he's so famous, like he probably couldn't get away with like snooping around. Yeah, but he could have. He could have yeah, had a good like,
0: disguise, and it could have been like a whole thing. Maybe it was, like, a potential issue of him, like, accidentally stealing the show too much if they gave him that much more to do. I could see that happening.
1: Yeah. There are a lot of characters in this movie. There are. That is really, really true. And I, I did feel it really lag in the uh, the whole movie. It gets a little slow around the... It's like It's, like, maybe 10 minutes past the midpoint. It gets really slow and like you're so there and you're so with it for the first 40 minutes um like the world Mm -hmm. building and all of that it's super entertaining um but yeah I really felt it lag yeah I felt it lag a bit too before yeah like
0: when they were trying to get to the hall of records that was kind of slow and then when after like Ella had already broken the spell and then they were just like stalling waiting to like get to the end I was like (sighs) oh like I know it's going to be fine. Yeah. Just let it be fine. You know, like the the worst the worst part of the movie has already been dealt with. Right. Or like the worst the worst situation in the movie. Yeah. I I mean, when you're thinking of Ella, who's like really our priority still. And speaking of that like structural things, I just thought that it was really uh lame that Lucinda shows up randomly just by coincidence and then just like fucks it up more and then leaves. Yeah. I was like why even include her? They
1: didn't give her character any real stakes in within the world. Like they just gave her like this personality where she's like offended when people don't like her gifts and like that's it other than being like a
0: uh, alcoholic like yeah party girl. Yeah, and her outfit was great. I loved her outfit. Her outfit was amazing. Yeah.
1: Um, I have two major bones to pick. <laughs> okay. Um, One being that they did not give Ella's best friend, what's her name? Arita. Yeah. They did not give Arita a real wrap up. They don't even address the fact, they don't even give her anything. Like she's just not in the movie until the very end. And she's just like, he, he, yeah, yeah go Ella. Woo. <laughs> and it's like, no, like, last time you saw her, um, she said she didn't want to see you ever again, so... Well, it also wasn't just that. It was literally, like, she said
0: something extremely racist yeah. to her, and then they never followed back up on it, which...
1: Can we just go into the problematic zone? Um, I have one more thing that's not okay. in that zone. Put a pin in the racism, and yeah, we will come back. we'll come back. Please say what you were going mm-hmm. to say. The way that the spell that is put on Ella works has a lot of plot holes. Yeah, Um, it does.
0: Yes, it does. Like,
1: what happens when the demands conflict? Like, sometimes it works one way and sometimes it works another way. There Mm. is just, living in a magical world, I just don't see how her best friend wouldn't like, she has an inkling of what's going on in the classroom, in the debate scene. She kind of gets it. Like, she's like, why is she doing everything she says? But apparently she doesn't get it. <laughs> um, yeah. And then when um, the new evil stepmom tells Ella to say all the awful things, Mandy is standing right there and she knows what's going on fully and she doesn't undo the the action and it's just like... She, or she doesn't just tell her not to Yeah, do she it. doesn't just say, Ella, yeah. don't tell her those things. Because the way that it works in other parts of the movie, she would then not do those things. So it's it's yeah. very convenient. And I it doesn't always work the way that is logical. And that kind of bothers me. But, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again,
0: based off of the logic holes thing... I just hate it in movies of this genre when it's like you had the power all along inside of you. I'm always just like, can it not be that
1: way? I thought that it was really messed up that. Ella's mom told her not to tell anyone about the spell. I know. I was like, I, know. I was like, you are. Do you realize you're like dooming her for a life of hell because you said that? Like, yeah, you literally demanded her not to tell anyone when that's like the one freedom that you want her to have. Like, I was just like, what? What? What is this? Well,
0: and couldn't um Mandy have been like, tell people? Yeah, couldn't she have been like, tell people about? Your curse or whatever. Well, the thing is, is, like, if she wasn't a character, because, honestly, she didn't need to be there. She didn't do anything. Yeah. But if she wasn't a character, there would have been truly no one who knew. And I kind of feel like if no one knew about the curse at all, it would have added, like, a little bit of something. Yeah, it would
1: have added more legitimacy. Like, I don't think I would even bring up that point had she not yeah. known, been there and known about everything. Yeah. Um And also, I just want to shout out to the fact that... They were protesting at the, like, Prince Char, like fan club event or whatever that was really it's like tacky in and the weird <laughs> but like yeah I just okay, thought it was so interesting I think I think that
0: that is a really good segue into yeah. the problematic areas yeah, yeah. so I kind of feel like there is like a really uneven tone in the movie when it comes to like the actual trauma of racism yeah like like there's moments where it's like taken really seriously and then other moments where it's not. And one thing that I wrote down, it was my first thing I wrote on on the bad column, was that in the beginning of the movie, they were like, Ella was cursed to be obedient, but she was extraordinarily kind. And then, like, the thing that they show to demonstrate her kindness is her, like, standing up for, like, the basic rights of her friend, who is non-white. Mm-hmm. And and so I was like okay yeah if you're like a white person watching this you you're like there's a part of you that's like oh wow like what a good white person or whatever but it's but it's like that's just the bare minimum like yeah. that shouldn't be noteworthy
1: that's not like know? being an extraordinarily like kind person yeah that's like <laughs> exactly
0: and it's an it's just an example of like the especially in movies of this era and we'll talk about this when it comes to hairspray in a big way but like not to I mean spoiler alert we're probably doing a hairspray (laughs) episode at some point but like it's like when white people become the hero of stories that have to do with racism like
1: it's just it is technically a white savior movie if you it is you know, just because it's it with, it's this strange blend of real racism, like rooted in our le- mm-hmm. like in our world, and then ogre,
0: <laughs> and it's yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the thing that's so weird is that there's like the actress and like the character to a certain extent. I mean, they, they say that Arita is aorthean,
1: a, a and made up the
0: actress is a made up yeah, which is made up yeah, which is made up. Yeah, but she's a human, and um, as far as we can tell, she's human. I mean, maybe she's some, like, mystical race, and they just never talk about it. Like, that could happen. Like, fantasy stuff likes to do shit like that. Um, but the point is, there's, like, humanoid racism at each other, and the weird thing is that, like, Arita being discriminated against is weird presented as way more about the trauma of Ella being forced to discriminate than Arita being discriminated against. Like, yeah. we don't even really get to see that much of her reaction, of Arita's reaction to, like, literally being told, like, I would never be friends with an aorthian We see, like, Anne Hathaway's, like... Internal like, struggle. ...like, tears about yeah. it. Yeah. And it's just kind of like... It's a weird scene, and it's really sad when you're a kid, and then they just never talk about it ever again and the only racism that they ever talk about again is ogres against ogres elves yeah giants yeah so it's and those are all humanoids
1: it it does feel like an extreme 2004 attempt at blending that sort of uh plot device but it's like i think that also this might be a
0: case of like Anti-Aeorthian racism was a big feature in the book, Mm -hmm. and they didn't want to cut it, but they didn't want to make it, like, the point because it would be, like, too non-white, basically, to do that. And so there might be something there with that, but really the whole movie has, like, this political through line where Prince Char is like, I don't know anything about politics. He doesn't really seem to know anything about anything, honestly. And he's, like, 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 Ella's schooling him on politics and, like, encouraging him to become a better diplomat. And, like, somehow he doesn't know about the fact that there are giants being, like, quite literally enslaved in fields yeah. of agriculture, with whipping, yeah,
1: and then it's just a little. It really had me going, like, um, yeah. It's so to have Anne Hathaway in this role where she is simultaneously the white savior for, um, well, she's the she's doing the classic white savior plot line with Arita, but she's doing the like woman educating. clueless man uh role as well and it's like yeah it's like a lot it is a lot and it also feels
0: weirdly timely Mm -hmm. it kind of does in a way
1: it's a little timely yeah I mean as far as like white women go (laughs) um we (laughs) we can speak on this (laughs) Um, that's true that is true I think I think there are a lot of white women that that are liberal or whatever that feel that that they kind of inhabit a similar position. And well, um, like the whole philosophy of like needing to have like a really
0: um, affirming and gentle hand with white men that don't know better, like trying to or like feeling this need to like leverage your social clout and like privilege with them to get them to see that stuff is wrong. And being super like gentle and being like, you're such a special boy. I know you'll get it. Is just it's a bit. It is timely. It's a bit timely. It's a bit spicy. And (laughs) that kind of came to a head for me, or at least I wrote this down, like when um when Char is proposing to Ella. I know! And Ella's <laughs> supposed to kill him. And, and she's like, no, no, because she doesn't want to kill him. And he's like, is it because of my politics? Because it doesn't matter. I wrote
1: that down. I wrote the, I, that yeah, I, that w- line killed me. Is it because of my politics? Right. She's like, she's got the dagger to his back. And he's like, I'm not a Republican. Like, it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. He was literally like, I'm not a racist. Like, Don't kill me.
0: And please marry me. Yeah. And like, that part was... it was poignant almost (laughs) it was it was poignant um and also just to kind of cap off the arita thing at the very end like when they when ella and char get married and they're like doing the toast literally the only wrap-up we get of the anti-aorthian racism which is lumped in with all the other racism is to a nation of equals yeah. while holding up the cup. And then as I say nation of equals, it like shows Arita and she's
1: like vibing. Does that not feel like the kind of bandit, like... I'm just going to bring it to our real life. I'm just going to bring it to reality. Like, does it not yeah. feel like the same type of Band-Aid that is put over a country when, like, we got, we have Biden as a president? Like, it's like, yeah. now we're yep. all equal, but, like, literally nothing reflects that. And, like, nothing is, like, genuinely yeah. being done. And it's just everyone's supposed to be, like, vibing. Like, that's what they want. <laughs>
2: that's yeah,
1: what they want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you could come up with such a conspiracy if you wanted to. Like, they're like sprinkling that through the the media of the youth. So they will be like
0: subservient.
2: Yes. To
0: well, I think also another thing that we talked about, but then kind of got distracted by all of the other really interesting choices in this movie was that, like, when we first meet Slannan, who is the elf that uh, that Anne Hathaway travels with, my first thought was, like, is this elf supposed to be gay? Yes. And then the whole fact that he, like, wants to be a lawyer, and then the fact that, like, they're all being made to be entertainers. Yes. Yeah. I was just a little bit, <laughs> like...
1: Huh? What? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I definitely did though get I got a gay coded vibe from him and also the king or the not the king, the uncle and the snake.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was very like um Robin Hood villain, gay king Jafar Jafar. There's just
1: there was just so much uh and and not even just to bring it way back as far as like Just to bring it way back, they do also literally say you're not like other girls in this movie. (laughs) They do. They do say you're not like other girls in this movie.
0: And, you know, maybe let's use that as our segue into whatever we do or do not want to say regarding, like, what this movie says or does not say about, like, consent slash autonomy. It kind of feels like... We don't get to know that much about how Ella actually feels about her curse, yeah. so it's kind of hard to tell. I mean, obviously she doesn't like it,
1: <laughs> but, like, that's kind of all we know. But she like, she doesn't really, like, kick and scream about it. I mean, I guess if it's something you deal with your whole life, like, you'll be kind of, like, beat beaten down by it. But um, I don't think that the lesson to be taken from this movie has to do with... Like, if you're going to take something from this movie, I don't think it has to do with uh, politics, clearly. Like, the political Mm. through line. Like, I came up with one, like, solid concept of, like, the lesson or something that you could apply to your life. Like, every time that Ella needs saved, it's a consequence of her having not said or done what she wanted to do. And, Mm -hmm. um... I just thought it created, like, kind of an interesting dynamic between her and Prince Char, where it's like, it's like, it, like, makes for a codependent, like, relationship, you know what I'm saying? Like, I realize that she does not have choice, so it, that is what makes it not fully apply in this movie, but just in general, like if, if somebody is not saying how they feel, then like you're, the other person is constantly going to feel like they need to like fix things or like save things. And I feel like if anything, that would be like a lesson, but. That's a good point.
0: Yeah. I mean, thankfully in their, uh, in Char and Ella's future marriage, that will not be a thing now (laughs) because, uh. Because She can say what she wants. It being gone. <laughs> I did have a thought, like, as we were watching it and, like, when they got married in the end, I did just sort of think, like, wow, up until 2004, like, new movies targeted at little girls still included marriage. Yeah. But also, like, this was a fairy tale. Yeah, well, so. that's, And that's what I was also going to say is that I just feel like the viability of, like, fantasy-based live-action movies for kids. Like, how you were saying, like, it just isn't a thing anymore. Yeah. And it's a, it's sad because they're so good.
1: Yeah, and, like, who really wants to, like, fairy tales are so rooted in tradition. It's like, do I really, do I really yeah. want to see a new version? Of, like, there is no such thing as a new fairy yeah. tale. Like, that's not a thing. And, and we've had our entire slew of movies that try to subvert that already. Like that, even. And there are that it's wave. It's cringy. Yeah, like that wave has already yeah. been done. So it's like, where do, there's like nothing to do with them.
0: Yeah, it is kind of tired for the
1: time being. Shrek caused a domino effect of uh, Disney attempting self-awareness, and I really don't think that's their strong suit.
0: (laughs) Overall, though, in spite of the problems that we have uh, uncovered with Ella Enchanted, I think, by and large, it's a really fun movie. It's really entertaining. It has good stakes to it. I think that even if we, as a 23-year-old and 25-year-old, Woman, women women <laughs> can like apply our own experiences to this movie now i think that it's not like a harmful thing for kids to watch and also like if this was like if you're our age and this was like your first exposure to like racial prejudice or like violence like in a in a close relationship like i like with arita and ella It's not the best, but it's not the worst. And if it's your first thing you see, I don't think it's going to, like, warp your brain forever. Yeah, no. It could have been better, but they weren't making that movie. No. So.
1: At the end of the day, no. It was a business decision. This is an economics (laughs) podcast. We should really, you know those, like, YouTube ads for, like, (laughs) master classes? It's, like the really uninformed guide to economics (laughs) by us us. economics as told
0: through the tween and teen movie media (laughs) landscape of the early 2000s that
1: is that should be an nyu class (laughs) and i'm about to pitch that to them
0: I was about to say, we're about to be able to become adjunct professors and joint teach that shit.
1: Wait, that's kind of a dream, honestly. We could do that.
0: We could probably make that happen if we tried hard enough. Give us (laughs) us that adjunct NYU money, a.k.a. probably like $3. (laughs) Yeah, they
1: they don't get enough. NYU adjunct professors deserve their flowers.
0: (laughs) No, they don't. I take it back. Anyway, Ella Enchanted, great watch. Still holds up, is not harmful. Is it still a good movie? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think yes. It's
1: very of its time, though. Yeah, and I think it does get slow. And I think that the final number was underwhelming. It was underwhelming, especially like the way that they just <laughs>
0: when they wouldn't even be lip syncing yeah, sometimes. Some I'd of like, the uh, some
1: of the extras were just like not dancing correctly, and then like the <laughs> ogres were just like. <laughs> I don't, Oh, my God, that reminds me of the most,
0: uh, the one of the worst parts of that number, which was, like, it was all smooth sailing. It was pretty much fine. And then they, like, I mean, it was bad, but it wasn't, like, offensive. And then they, like, rolled out the, like, Edgar in the wheelchair. Like, uh-huh. And I was, like, this just took a dark turn for yeah. a second here. And then they just rolled them away. I love it in, in production numbers where they just present <laughs> characters without comment. I'm like, like what beautiful. is going on? This is storytelling. This is storytelling. Oh, my
1: God. Okay. I think yeah, it's time for us we to gotta, go. to we got to get off the mic.
0: <laughs> we'll see you next week. Uh, let us know if you have any more recommendations, questions, comments, concerns, hot topics. Follow our
1: playlist. It's called You're Entering the (laughs) O.O.'s. If you look up Audrey's
0: name on Spotify, it'll come up, if not the name of the um, playlist. You know what? I'm also going to say this. If you have a hot take about any of the movies that we've talked about and you want to send us a voice memo expressing them, we would love to receive them. You can just email them to twopinkpictures at gmail.com and maybe you will hear yourself in an episode and we will do what we yes, can to make it It can happen. be about any past episode we've done. Okay, now we're really going to leave.
1: Thank you so much for listening
0: and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.
1: You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com sleepover-cinema and keep up with all our latest creative projects at twopinkpictures.com. If you want to watch our show as well as listen, we're on YouTube too, yay. Search Sleepover Cinema or go to the link tree in our Instagram bio. We're on Instagram and Twitter at twopinkpictures and would love to hear from you there. We're also on TikTok at sleepover cinema, and that's really where the party is at. It's true. And if you like sleepover
0: cinema, please share an episode with a few friends. Also, since we're asking for things, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcasts app. Um, For some reason, they're super powerful and we would always appreciate a nice review. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman, and theme music is by Josh Perlman-Hall. Special thanks to executive producers Michael D'Aloya and
2: David Moss. We'll chat again soon. We'll chat again soon. (laughs) Hi, I'm Christina Yerling-Biro, host of the podcast Pop Culture Confidential.